Andrew, go ahead and put up my first slide here as we get going. The subject matter is, is simultaneously the most talked about and the least talked about subject, uh, I would say, that faces the church today. And here's why. It's the least talked about, and if you want to step on some parents' toes, you start challenging their parenting. For everyone in this room that is a parent, it's something that I would say you, you, are, you struggle with the most pride about. Okay, the moment someone says, hey, are you sure you're disciplining your kids in the right way? I mean, seriously, right? Has anyone ever commented on your children's behavior? It's like all of a sudden the werewolf comes out, okay? So it's simultaneously the least talked about and the most talked about. Because the same people that don't want to take critique as parents are the same ones that behind closed doors are giving everyone else critique. So in the church, it's this weird, taboo subject. It's talked about a lot behind closed doors, and it's not talked about very much face-to-face. Well, tonight we're going to take a different journey. I thought what we would uh, do first is look at uh, some, some really funny, interesting e-cards, okay? These are some e-cards perspective on parenting. So let's start here. I used to have functioning brain cells, but I traded them in for children, all right? Some of you guys feel this way, but this is, like, this is how some of the culture understands or thinks about parenting. Uh, how about this one? Here's a classic. Please, person with no ch- uh, children, give me more bad advice on how to raise my children while I take notes, said no parent ever, right? That, like, this has been you before, okay? You've been not a parent and extending tons of advice, right? And when, when you've done that, haven't you parents wanted to punch somebody in the face? Like, hey, just wait till you have one, okay? Then maybe you can speak from experience, you communist, all right? Next, <laughs> next slide. Welcome to parenthood. Hope you don't like peeing alone, right? <laughs> I mean... We go, to, we go to a restaurant a couple nights ago, and I'm serious. I, I bet I was in the restroom six or seven times, right? I don't even know how the size of bladder like, can consist of such a, such a small size, but it was crazy. Uh, anyway, next uh, slide. My parents say that it's their house, but when it comes time to clean, it magically becomes my house too, right? <laughs> a lot of interesting thoughts out there. <laughs> All right, next, uh, next slide. How about this one? Dear parents, thank you for giving me a weird name. Sincerely, the child who doesn't have a customized keychain. Right? It's that moment when you walk into Crackle Barrel, Cracker Barrel, whatever the restaurant, right? And you're like, mm. so I, I've always had that because my name's spelled with a C, okay? And so I can never find mine. This is one of my favorites. Check this out, okay? Yeah, they are cute when they're little, but just wait till there are teens and they blow up your Death Star. Okay, that's the. Uh... <laughs> Some of you, it's taken a while, okay? Luke Skywalker, he was Darth Vader's son when he was a teen, blew up the Death Star. You're like, I don't have a Death Star. That makes no sense to me. (laughs) All right. So here's going to be my approach. You can take that down. That's scary. Here's going to be my approach tonight. and My approach tonight is going to be urgent. Uh, My approach tonight is is going to be um, with the sediment that... Many of us have a lot of baggage from the parents that we grew up under, and many of us right now are failing desperately at parenting. And so to me, the issue of parenting tonight is not a taboo one, but it's one that we must confront head-on with God's Word as our guide. So I'm going to pray right now for the Holy Spirit to move in us. Listen, I'm going to ask that in me as a parent and all of you and all of those of you who have parents, that the pride would be absolutely gone 
that we can receive from the Lord tonight what he would have us here, and that we can walk out of here desiring to lead our families to Jesus. Amen? Okay? So let's ask God to do that work in our heart before we hear one iota of this word. Dear God, we need you to break us of our pride tonight. We're desperate of that. God, we're, um, we struggle to talk about this subject. And so tonight, I, I would ask that for your name and for your glory, God, that you would do such a work in this room that we would be able to hear from you, address the issues, and repent and turn both the baggage that we've held on for years and years from our own parents and the baggage that we now are giving to our kids. God, guide us in all truth in your great and holy name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, been in a three-week journey and through verse 18 and 19 the last two weeks, address the wives, address the husbands. And tonight, as I've mentioned, we'll simultaneously address the parents and then s- slavery is on the topic as well. So it's going to be a really interesting evening. So here we go, verse uh, 20 of Colossians uh, chapter 3. Here we go, deep breath. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Okay, this is the Christian go-to in the heat of the moment verse. Every believer in this room has used this passage. Uh, The reality is you probably didn't quote it correctly, okay, because you're going off of, you know, a sermon or a teaching or a devotional that you read like three years ago. And you know somewhere in the Bible it says children obey your parents. And so the rhetoric is, hey, kids, you want to know what the Bible says? Obey your parents. And then your kids are like, where is that found? And you're like, it's in like, I don't know, like Matthew 30 or something, right? Like right there after the resurrection of Jesus. Problem is there's no Matthew 30, right? Like, so, so this is the go-to verse. This is the verse that, that makes its way. Listen, it's the verse that makes its way on many a refrigerator. And parents think that just by quoting this passage, it will naturally lead to heart change. Hey, kids, if I just yell this passage enough over your unregenerate hearts, then surely you're going to get it and then follow suit. It's unfair to the kids. Let me remind you, they are born unregenerate, not saved. Okay, They are born without the Spirit in them, without a knowledge of the person of Jesus. And so as they're three, four, five, six years old, and as their heart prayerfully is beginning to change and soften to the gospel, you using this verse before they come to Christ is very difficult because you're using passages for a non-believer. And the scripture says to all non-believers, the cross and therefore the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe. And yet it's like our go-to, okay? I'm not saying it shouldn't be our go-to, but I want to address many issues there within, Okay? So let's start here with the word obey. I don't want to um, assume that we all understand what the word obey means. Uh, again, we use it a lot. It was used on you a lot as a, as a child. I want to show you another passage that uses the same reference that will help us see what the word obey means. Okay, check this out in Acts 12. And when he knocked at the door, this is Peter, just after he let, uh, was let out of prison, And when he knocked out at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. That word answer in Acts chapter 12 is the exact same Greek word that we just saw in the word obey. So certainly it has a submission theme to it, but it doesn't just have a submissive theme. It also has a theme of answering or being quick to respond. 
Okay, the door is knocked on. Rhoda comes and she, and she answers the door. It has a tone of waiting for commands and being quick to respond. Does that make sense? Okay, that's what the word obey means. So if we go back to our text, next slide. If we go back to this text, then children obey, be quick to respond to your parents in, what's the word? In everything. There are no bounds for this apparently. In everything, obey your parents. And then a really interesting after the comma, for this pleases the Lord. Now, the moment I read this verse, the very first time, as studying for this, uh, for this teaching, I was like, this is, a rare, this is a rare saying. I know it. I know this is a rare. Like, do you ever have those moments when you're reading something, you're like, I don't think this is many other places in the scripture. And so we started as a staff. I was like, all right, guys, I want you to, like, let's try to find this, this phrase. And we could only come up with a couple, okay? There's one in Hebrews 11, 6, okay? It's, a, it, it's connected with faith that pleases the Lord. There's some uh, Old Testament text that uh, connects the aroma uh, and the sacrifice that was pleasing to the Lord. But there is not one passage in the entire scripture that quotes exactly this phrase. Do this and it pleases the Lord. So is it interesting to anyone else that the connection between obedience of parents all of a sudden lends itself to pleasing the Lord. Is that, does anyone else find that interesting? Well, the question is why? I have to think it's in our understanding and our growth, in our submission to our parents, that teaches us about our submission to our, to our Father in heaven, to his son Jesus, and the following of the Spirit. In other words, if we can't submit to our parents, how in the world can we submit to a good God? And many of you right away, you're like, well, I have a litany of reasons on why that can't happen, okay? Well, let me show you and set some parameters for this text. Here's what Exodus 20 says in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. How about that? So now it's not obey, but it's honor. And another promise. This time, not that it pleases the Lord, but look, and your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you was spoken to the Israelites. Now, let's have some fun here. Let's set some parameters. What's the difference between obey your parents and honoring your parents? Okay? Let me try to make this as succinct and uh, in summary form as possible. Obeying your parents is taught to any child that is still under the care of their parents. Under the care of uh, meaning under the financial care, uh, in the home, okay, sitting underneath the authority. So any child from X uh, age to X age that's still submitting to their parents' care, okay, I'm not talking about Christmas presents that come from your parents. I'm not, I'm not talking about maybe some of you that have parents that have helped still pay for financial aid. I'm saying living in the home, sitting underneath the authority of your parents, the scripture says, obey your parents in everything, okay? So that makes a transition then when you as a child leave the home, when you as a child leave the authority and the undergirdings of your parents, then the term honor carries with it always. In other words, there's never a time in the entire scripture that the scripture says, dishonor your parents, it's not, it's not there. You're not going to find it. And then you're like, but Mark, you just quoted last week that, that in Jesus, that families are going to be separated against each other. Yes, I did say that. That's in the word. 
Because some will believe in Jesus and some won't. That's the case in some of your families. Some of you have parents that are believers, some of you have aunts that are believers, and many have others that aren't. But it does not mean that we're to dishonor our non-believing parents. Are we together? Okay. Let me, let me set some scenarios for you. Okay. You're 16 years old. This never happened to any of you. You're 16 years old. You come home. You, uh, your mom or dad finds out that you have a new dating interest. Hello. Okay. This happened to me in seventh grade. I've told the story many times. I won't go into the Kylie Pebble story again, but this happened to me. Okay, so you come home. Mom and dad found out through social media or various means that you have a new love interest, and they start asking you about it. So, hey, tell us about, you know, tell us about this, this, this gal. Oh, she's really nice. She's really, she's really beautiful. Uh, her parents are, are nice. And then the statement comes. So, uh, is she a believer? Well, you know, I mean... She, she told me she, she believes in God, right? And she, go, she went to church last Christmas and like, okay. And, and so however that conversation goes, your parents then say, hey, listen, uh, Billy, uh, we want you to break up with that, with that girl. We don't think that you dating that girl is a wise move. Is that 16-year-old in the authority of their parents? Is that 16-year-old sitting underneath the care of their parents? Is that 16-year-old benefiting from the finances of their parents? The answer to all of those is most certainly and probably yes. And so if we're taking the word for what the word says, then that 16-year-old, and again, I'm sure this never happened to any of you with any of your boyfriends or girlfriends, this, the scripture says that you're to submit to your parents' authority. Right, like right now we're sitting in a culture that's like, but, 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 hold on. But what about this, and what about that, and what about this scenario? The, the exceptions to this are if your parents go against the gospel. So in other words, thankfully, some of you disobeyed your parents, and you, you, you became a part of biblical community, right? And so in that way, that's a great exception, as long as, just like anything else, submission to government, submission to our ruling authorities, which are all biblical, as soon as those things go against the gospel... Then there are exceptions for that. But if it's not a gospel issue, okay, then you're to submit under your parents. Let's set another scenario. Again, I'm sure none of you have ever been here. You're there tonight. You're holding her hand now. You're 22. Okay, you get engaged. You go home and you tell your parents, right? And she shows, like, I got a ring on it now. And everybody's excited. Everybody's happy. But you can tell by the demeanor of your parents' face that they're not so happy. They're not so excited, right? Okay, well, you had, you've just graduated college or you've, you know, you've been in trade school for a while. After she leaves, then your parents come in. Hey, so ah, this is not good. That girl's going to do this. And, you know, are, are, have you checked yourself on this avenue? Are you sure she's, she's good for you? I want you to end this engagement. So in this moment, what does it look like to not dishonor your parents, but to even potentially respectfully hear their wisdom, but at the same time know that now you're not under their authority. Okay? How many of you guys have ever been in that place and still today, right? I mean, some of you guys are 30 and 40 years old and your parents are still exercising tremendous authority over your life. Listen, flip the script. Parents, there's going to be a day when you have to let go. I, for one, am very, am very scared of that day. Anyone else? Like, I can picture Avery being, like, 27. 
right? And I'm like, listen, Avery, I know maybe it's time for you to leave the house and leave your room. And I am going to go ahead and unlock the door now so that, you know, we can see. Um, no, but what, what it means is that the minutes, and I'm not saying days, I'm not saying hours, I'm not saying weeks or years. I'm saying the minutes matter than parents. If there's going to be a day when, when your children will leave, when they'll not be under your authority any longer, then that means, parents, that it's an urgent need for us to understand the biblical ramifications of our parenting. You are a case in point to that. Think about all the time you've thought about your parents' parenting of you. Think about all the, uh, the counseling sessions that that has come up or the conversations with friends. Oh, yeah, my dad did this and my mom did that. I want to make sure we're all on the same page tonight. Listen. Does God ever, when we say, hey, I'm going to turn my back on you, God, and then we look at God in our disobedience and we say, well, my parents did this, though, God, so there's an exception to my sin, right? Is there anything biblical that would quantify that kind of argument. But God, this happened to me as a kid. So, so, so surely, God, you're going to be compassionate on my sin. He's gracious in Christ towards my sin. But our sin has ramifications and consequences. And we cannot add exemptions or excuses. Our sin is our sin, no matter what the case or what the cause. Okay, so this is heavy. This is, this is real. We're going to flesh that out even some more here in a second. But parents... We're called to lead our children in a way that's guiding them and loving them and encouraging them towards obedience. I want to add a bunch of layers to this here as we go on. Next slide, okay? So children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Now check out this verse. Next slide. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. All right, so some of you moms are feeling left out, right? You're like, where's the madre in the Greek? Um, um, well, if you, look at, if you look at the word here, pateo, Jared, are you in here? Pateo is the, is that right? Pateo, is that father? Okay. So um, Jared knows also, when in doubt, right? Um, phone a friend, right? Um, pateo is the Greek word here, which, which has the implications of father. However, in a lot of study and a lot of reading, Obviously, mothers are a part of this command, okay? So when we get to the word, fathers, do not provoke your children. The question then is, what does the word provoke mean? It means to make bitter, to embitter, or we could say it this way, to irritate. So fathers and mothers, do not irritate your children, embitter your children, lest they become discouraged. So right now, let's try to walk through some ways, moms, dads, that we've embittered and irritated our children, and kids in this room who are yet to have children see this from the other perspective, okay? Here's some ways that I'm going I'm to encourage that we've provoking or that we are provoking our children. Number one, not addressing behavior, a lack of discipline. And the same analogy that I just used with Father God, 
Think of all the excuses that we use with our children. Well, well, well they're just tired. Well, they're just teething. Well, they're just sick. Can we agree right now, my friends? Disobedience is disobedience, right? There is no exemptions. Don't you think that our children need to learn how to obey under duress? How in the world are they going to learn obedience and submission to the Lord God when there's trial if they're not learning it when it's 9 o'clock and it's an hour past their bedtime? Instead, parents, and of, of my own sin in, in very struggling with this, is I'm a great warner at times and a very poor disciplinary. I use warning as an act of laziness. Any other parents here? You touch that 16 more times, son. And I'm going to be counting. I'm counting. 16. You touch that 16 more times. And really what I'm saying is I'm lazy. I'm lazy. And, and you're like, but Mark, um, but that, that just sounds gracious. No, that, no, that's not gracious. They need, and I would even say add, desired discipline. They need structure. Our children are desperate for it, right? Haven't you seen many situations where kids are not being disciplined, right? They're in desperate need of it. And yet in our own laziness, in my own laziness, and I would even include my wife in this, it's very easy to warn, 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 and never really fully discipline. And in the end, it will irritate your children. Why? Because your children will be 12, 13, 14 years old, and all of a sudden you want to make the shift. You want to make the turn at that point because you can feel them starting to distance themselves. They're not as huggy as they once were. You can't tuck them in like you once could. And so in the moment they start to distance themselves, then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, 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 hold on. No, this is one and done. But you've just spent the last eight years warning, 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 and never discipline. Again, how are we to teach our kids about submission to the Lord Jesus? And you're like, but Jesus gives plenty of warnings. Oh, yeah, and you know what those warnings are? Life or death. Life or death. Believe in me or you die. Okay, I'm not saying that we should implement that with our parenting, right? right? Seems a little heavy-handed. Right? Kids, obey this or, right? Uh, parents in this room who become lazy in your discipline, let me encourage you with this. It's irritating and will discourage your children. Stop blaming everything else on your children's disobedience and discipline your kids. Now, the problem is some of you grew up in abusive homes, and so you've gone the other way, right? You were hit, smacked, cussed at, yelled at, diminished, demeaned, and so now the pendulum has swung the other way, and you're like, well, I'm just going to be my parents' best friend. The problem is, my friends, they will forever learn to walk over authority structures, and when that authority structure prayerfully in their life becomes the Lord Jesus, they will do the same. They will take advantage of grace and not know the beauty of it. Okay? Discipline your children, fathers and mothers. And those of you in here that are kids, cherish the discipline. Okay? Whole passage in Hebrews that talks about the discipline that comes from the Lord. We're just getting started. Number two. Some ways parents provoke their children, not shepherding the heart. Dad's 100%. You are the pastor of your house. 
When we talk about shepherding here in this body, it's the shepherding and the oversight of the elders over the church body. And in the same way, in little microcosm church plants, you are the pastor of your house. And I do want to extend a tremendous amount of grace and love right now to all the single moms in this community. I admire you. Okay, you're having to, some of you do this on your own. Listen, take heart. Take heart. Okay, you can fill this role, and even though it's easy to get hopeless, remain hopeful for the ways that God can use you as a single mom. Amen, somebody? Come on. All right? All right? So number two is not shepherding the heart. In other words, how are you in moments of discipline, in opportunities to guide, communicating the gospel? So when your kid disobeys, what are you saying about it? Are you saying, listen, you need to do this because I told you so, or are you able to communicate the ramifications of sin? And therefore, every single day of their life, teaching them and shepherding them why they need Jesus. If they don't understand sin, they won't know the need of Jesus. If we just try to fix behavior, if we just address behavior and don't do so under the premise of the gospel, then our kids will just grow up feeling demeaned, thinking that they've disobeyed you. They haven't primarily. They've disobeyed the Lord. And when they can make that connection and in a very communicative, loving way, when we shepherd their heart towards the person of Christ in discipline, in wisdom, in the moments we conversate with them, our kids are growing up learning that they need Jesus and not anything else. And again, it's way easier as parents just to be like, ah, I'm tired tonight. I'm not really, I know I'm supposed to get at their heart. Um, what I've learned is it's amazing what your kids will say if you just ask them. And some of you are like, my, my, my kids don't talk to me. And I'm wondering if it's because you haven't asked them. One of the things that I try to do as often as I can, and again, fail in this often, is I try to get my three kids by themselves. Like yesterday, Avery came home from school, a couple days left of school. I was like, hey, Avery, come here. And we went and sat in the living room away from the riffraff, riffraff one and two, right? Okay? <laughs> away from chaos. And we just sat. And I asked her questions. And I engaged her heart. And then later that night, I took Maddox aside, right? Getting them alone as, as much and often as you can. One of our Mother's Day traditions that we have is our kids get to take mom on a date um, by themselves. And we, we look forward to that day. We long for that day, right? And try to implement that as much as we can outside of Mother's Day. But they, they love it because they want time alone with you. Shepherd their hearts. And I would even say for those of you that are, are children, Allow your parents to play their biblical role of shepherding in your life. Okay? We're going to address a lot of issues that come from that. Number three. Okay? Not providing space to experience and grow. This is the 1-800 overprotective parent. Okay? Now, I've, listen, uh, there's certainly people that disagree with me on, on this topic. I'm going to share uh, what I believe and uh, all of you can disagree and agree um, down that road. Um, Heidi and I's philosophy of parenting is we want to, uh, in what we see in the way that Jesus' disciples, uh, his disciples, and again, you're like, yeah, but they were much older, and, and that is true. Uh, but we try to embrace the mentality of exposure discipleship. Okay? So I want my kids on mission with me as many times as possible. I want them to be in homes where it's dicey. 
I want them to see dicey things. I even at times want them to hear dicey things. Now, there's a certain level of wisdom within all that. I don't drag my kids into R-rated movies and say, kids, watch this. We're going to process later. I don't do that. I don't do that. Okay? But what, what I am saying is I want to expose my children to the realities of this culture so that then I can shepherd their heart as they do process. Hey, Daddy, like, why... Why is this that way? And like, why did this person say this? Some of you are so fearful of your kids hearing things, and some of those same overprotective kids wind up in college, and I saw it like a dime a dozen. They wind up in college, and the first liberal professor that attacks Christianity, they're like, oh my goodness. I didn't even know there was other religions. Or they're like, what's alcohol? Oh, can I have a little sip of that? It looks so fruity and delightful, right? Or my parents were afraid to talk about sex. So, so can you tell me again what that is? That seems interesting, right? S-E-X, is that how you spell it, right? And so, and so those kids then, listen, have been sheltered. I don't see that philosophy in the shepherding of Jesus to his disciples. I quote the story all the time. He sends the 70 or the 72 out, and, and the, they come back, and they're like, Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. He sends out these boys, as he even said, like lambs among wolves. And then he gets to watch them as they come back, and he shepherds their heart as they process. And to that story, they say, even the demons submit to us, and he says, don't celebrate that. Celebrate that your name's written in the book of life. He gets to correct them and shepherd their heart and coach them and train them and love them. Now, there's all kinds of veins of where that topic goes, but what I see in Scripture, what I see happening in my children, okay, I'll share this with you now. We're baptizing my daughter here in, here in a few weeks, all right? I'm really excited. It's been a, it's been a journey. Through that, I really appreciate the three people that applauded for that. That's really cool. I feel great about that. Um, but shepherding her heart and conversating about God's word has been awesome as she processes. So, Daddy, in my class, uh, this is what's happening. And why is that that way? And seeing the fruit that comes in her life by exposing her to some things that, that maybe seem dicey and tricky has actually allowed me to shepherd her heart in a deeper way. I love it. Okay. So listen, to some, of the, to some of you who are overprotective, and again, it's potentially com- overcompensating for something in your past or a journey that you were on, listen, give your kids space, okay? Allow them to understand the need for the gospel, and you discern what that means for you and your family, okay? We're not going to make educational, doctrinal bullet points here. We're not going to take and make extra biblical uh, legalities here. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to say, you have the Holy Spirit in you, so discern, Okay? Number four, just getting started. Some ways that parents provoke, irritate, set up frustration for their kids is by not providing affectionate love. Now, um, I, for one, thankfully grew up in a home uh, whose mother was very, very loving. Okay, I have the most hospitable mom in the world. She makes the best cupcakes. Some of you guys have the, the, she's unbelievable. I saw her open the home, very hospitable, I've, I've been very blessed to have the mom that I do. Okay, my dad, I rarely got a hug from. Okay, I rarely was kissed by him, and you're like, that seems weird. Um, and, and that's unfortunate, isn't it? Okay. Um, rarely was told, I love you. And so I enjoy and cherish so much that literally every single time I'm with my kids, it's, I love you. Daddy loves you. Daddy cares. 
and come here, boys. Though we're going to wrestle and though this, though this hug's going to turn into a bear hug of death and I'm going to take you down and then we'll get to be boys, I want you to know that like, daddy really cares and he's present and he's, he's willing to wrap his arms around you and he's willing to embarrass you in front of your friends and give you a big smack on the cheek, right? Um, some of you have been burned or carry with you tremendous baggage because you weren't shown affection. But I'm telling you right now, that same baggage that you carry will be the same thing that your kids communicate one day. They're like, man, mom and dad, I just didn't hear, I love you a lot. I, I, I wasn't held. Okay. And those of you that have parents that are teenagers, how many of you guys are there, right? Okay. Good. It's the three of us. Um, like, I know that there's going to be a day, right, where I'm probably not going to, like, like, lay in bed and cuddle with my 16-year-old boy, okay? <laughs> right? My guess is that, you know, those days are a little bit numbered. Um, but, but they will be tremendously impacted and affected if now they're experiencing a daddy who's not just present, doesn't just vocalize, I love you, but that holds his kids. Can I say something? I feel like some of you who are kids, you've let this like really dominate a lot of your thinking. And I'm wondering, the reconciling conversations that can happen, or even the forgiving conversations that can happen with your parents, if you were finally able to reach out to them and just say, listen, I know you didn't say I love you a lot, and I know you haven't in your life. And I know we didn't hug a lot, and I can't remember the last time you kissed me. I'm not saying start now, but just hear me out. Um, I love you, mom and dad. And I was affected by you not showing me much affection. And so what if we started over, mom and dad? What if we started over? What if, what if we relearned how to show one another affection? Okay. By not doing that, it provokes, um, you guys know, like kids will look for it in other places. So if you're not the one that, that's providing that for them, single mom, um, married couple, and the like, single dad, if you're not the one providing it, they will seek out affection elsewhere. I pray that my daughter finds her affection in her mother and I, and so then when any boy tries to step to that, the, the gauge of affection will have to run through us. And I don't mean that in a shotgun kind of, you know, um, bullet um, kind of way, okay? I'm going to call Jason Scott when I need some help on those nights, right? Um, Number five, now providing affectionate love. And then number five, not teaching Jesus and worshiping with them. The single greatest error that those of us in Christ can make in our parenting is not teaching Jesus. And some of you right now are banking on ML kids because you feel inept. Some of you right now are, are banking on osmosis, right? Like you've, you've switched out the pillow for the Bible, you know? You're like, honey, I know it's a little leathery, but just work through it, you know? Okay? Can I, can I encourage every single one? And this is a, from a heart of love. Okay, I talk often about family worship here, and I don't want you to, to get discouraged. There are many nights where I drop the ball and where I know I'm to, to lead my family to Jesus, and there's... There's so many nights where I'm just tired and I neglect it. But my desire is to not. My desire is to hold the word, not just a VeggieTales devotional, but hold the, the word in my hands. And because of what the word's doing in my life, having the opportunity to communicate that with my children. Are you guys with me? 
Again, in, in my house, uh, my mother was really the, the communicative one about the gospel. I longed for a father um, that wasn't afraid to say Jesus. My guess is right now, this is the biggest area of repentance in the homes of our families here. You're letting life live you and not you live life. Um, the gospel has made infiltration into your life by your participation in the body of Christ. But I'm asking right now, if all that was gone and it was you and your family, would sharing and family worship together be weird? And again, guys, listen, it's very easy to do like a Bible story that's nice and cute, and those things are helpful, but I'm talking about teaching your, your children sin, teaching your children about how Jesus is the redeemer of that, teaching your kids the power of biblical covenant, and God's promises that reign supreme. And teaching your kids about Christ's centrality, his sitting on the throne. Teaching your children that we pray in the name of Jesus because by his blood we can approach the throne of God. I'm, I'm talking about teaching your children about where grace comes from. I'm talking about teaching your kids the powerful truth that is living and active. The reality is, if it's not living and active for you, it will not be for your kids because you'll hold the Veggie Tales devotional and it will be wrote for you. But when the word is affecting your life, come on, parents, when it's affecting you, you can't not tell your kids. And so you find yourself opening this book, and I mean, your kids have to be like, Daddy, you got to shut it down, okay? Daddy, you've been going an hour, okay? And we lost you at Jesus Wept. Can we just go back there? Let's go back there, you know. So you can tell right now what the scripture is doing in you by how much is getting communicated to your children, Nothing wrong with VeggieTales devotionals, nothing wrong with, with anecdotes as you grow in Christ. But my brothers and my sisters in this room, our kids need to hear God's word. They need to see God's word. They need to see God's word in action. And then their irritation isn't with you. It will be in whether or not they decide to follow Jesus. But you have shepherded them there. You have taken them there. And the scripture says... You have guided their hearts toward the person of Christ, and you've daily prayed for God to save them. Lots of uh, passages and promises in the scripture on this issue. Now what happens, and there's plenty more, is many of you, out of fear of starting or in seeing your own lack, right now you feel condemned. And I'm asking, I'm asking and praying that instead of feeling condemned, you would see the opportunity to repent. These precious minutes matter. The seconds matter. And thankfully, we're in a, a community here. There's a reason why we call our small groups Lot Families. Because we long for our kids to, to grow up together, seeing community in a different way than many of us grew up. Messy, confession of sin, watching people extend forgiveness and journey together towards Christ. That's the beauty of why we call Lot Families here. I love the fact that at my house, my kids get to see, you know, the 62-year-old in my house, and they get to journey with friends of theirs and everything in between. I love that. Okay. So the scripture makes clear, if this happens, your kids are going to be discouraged, lest they become discouraged. So there's an urgent need of that. Now this takes an interesting uh, turn here. Check this out. Bond servants. <laughs> what? Wives submit to your husbands, okay? Then we had some teaching on husbands. Then children obey your parents. And now, of course, bond servants, okay? Bond servants obey in everything 
Those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So now we have some really interesting biblical dialogue, right? So is this the biblical mandate for slavery? Well, no. No, it's not. Not even close. But what was a reality is that in Colossae, uh, were there people that were masters and were there people that were bond servants? Yes, that, that is the case. Okay, culturally at this time. And so what's going to happen scripturally in this line of what it means to submit to the Lord is uh, Paul is setting up how Christian relationships as the new man are now to exist. So what he's saying is, if you're a bond servant, what? Like, like do so, serve in such a way that's not just visually seeing as pleasing. So whenever your master looks over you, then you start working, and then when he turns away, you're done. Now, why would he do that? Why is this an encouragement? Because the whole point is, in your submission to God, right, is the service only happening when everyone's watching? Is the loving of your neighbors only happening when there's other neighbors over to see your righteousness? Is the serving of God only happening, right, when there's a camera because it's probably going to get put on a video? So all this is so uh, um, uh, instrumental in our understanding. I'll show you even more so here in a second. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. He's encouraging Christ-centeredness even in terms of being a bondservant, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I love this kind of encouragement about submission. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. In other words, he's encouraging those, those servants who have poor masters. Now, can I, turn, can I turn this on its head a little bit? Check this out, Romans 6. Hello, hello, somebody. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Does that make sense? You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Are we together? Yeah. Okay. You're sitting in submission to something. Of course, righteousness connected with the Lord Jesus and sin, as it were, connected to Hasatan or Satan, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become what? Come on. Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. You've been freed from the bondage and the connection and the submission to sin. And now you've become, as it were, a slave submitted, uh, submitted to the person of Christ. Next slide, okay. Check this out. This goes on. I'm speaking in human terms. Because of your natural limitations, for just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as what? Come on. As slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You guys see the beauty here. So all of the rhetoric of Colossians 3 is about how we're new in Christ and how that newness in Christ creates a submission to the person of Jesus. So husbands, submissive to Christ. Wives, submissive to Christ. Parents, submissive to Christ. Kids, submissive to Christ. Bond servants, submissive to Christ. And on and on and on. Why? Because we're slaves to sin. No longer we are slaves to 
righteousness. It's beautiful, beautiful text. Okay. So when I read the end of Colossians 3, you're like, well, this seems like a strange. No, it's all under the same banner. It's submission to Jesus. Okay. So if we turn the page to chapter 4, verse 1, check this out. Here's how this continues. Masters, then, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. In other words, there's a master in heaven, a father in heaven, who is a real good parent. There's a father in heaven who's a real good God. There's a master in heaven who never fails. Uh, so there's this uh, story in the scripture. Uh, Jesus starts uh, telling a parable. And he tells a parable about a, um, a son who desires his inheritance early. And so his son goes to his father and, and he says, all right, dad, like I want, I want my share. And again, because it's a parable, that means whatever's in the context of, in this case, Luke 15, then it's what Jesus wanted to communicate specifically. Son says, dad, give me, give me my inheritance. Come on, dad. Give me my inheritance. Okay. So the dad does so. And in Jesus' story, doesn't say, hey, use it this way or use it that way. He just gives it. Okay, many of you know the story. As the parable goes on, the son squanders his wealth, lives in tremendous sin, and finds himself finally in this way where the scripture says in his head, he realizes, hold on a second, my dad has servants that are living for him. Maybe I can come back as a slave. And so he makes the trek back home. And here's what the scripture says happens. Check this out. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. As Jesus was teaching the story and as I'm saying it now, can you imagine this moment in the story? I don't know what his dad was doing. Maybe he was over here tending some of the animals. Maybe he was, you know, watching some of the fields. I don't know what he was doing. But he looks up and he sees his son. Think about that moment in the scripture, in the story. His father saw him, and what, what happens? What does the scripture say? He what? He felt compassion. He doesn't feel anger. He doesn't feel condemnation. Again, Jesus is telling the parable. The good parent feels compassion. And he doesn't just feel compassion. Then he takes action. He what? He runs. Because as a parent, he knows the minutes are precious. As a parent, he knows the minutes matter. As a parent, he wants to get to his kid before anyone else can breed condemnation, right? Because some of the other servants there could have been like, hey, what have you done with your daddy's money? He gets there first. He runs to him, and then what? He embraces him, and then what? Yes, his son was older than a toddler. He kisses him. And then what happens? Check this out. Beautiful text. Not just the quick uh, arising. Then the son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And in Jesus' story, but the father said to his servants, bring what? What's the word? 
bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Come quickly. The minutes matter. I am the picture of a good father. And Jesus tells the story. And he gives you and I the best biblical picture of any story of a father God. The God who's quick to grace. The God who's quick to love. And in a painting addressing this moment, it looks something like this. The embrace, the tears, the love. Listen, parents, it's not too late. Come on, please. It's not too late. Dads, it's not too late in this room. Yeah, maybe years of disobedience. Maybe years of disgruntledness. Maybe years of laziness or years of making work your idol or your thing. Man, it's not too late. You men tonight, run to the arms of the Lord. He's quick to grace. Just at the seeing of repentance, imagine the, the Father running and extending uh, compassion. Men, run to Him. Embrace not condemnation, but this unbelievable love of the Father. Women in this room who watch yourself mothering in such a way that is already shaping your kids in a way that's detrimental. Listen, it's not too late. It's not too late for consistency. It's not too late for the gospel to infiltrate our homes in ways like it never has. It's not too late, my friends. His grace is sufficient in the arms of a great God. The best dad there is, is real. And as Jesus closes the story in Luke 15, he says, Come hurry. My son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. What if we tonight, together as a body, as kids, as parents, what if we received his grace and walked out of these doors desiring to watch him absolutely transform in an urgent way everything that happens in the shepherding of our house. Let's stand together. Come on, church. God, for the wayward children, I pray for repentance. For the disobedient kids in the room, I pray for repentance. For those that have wrestled, God, with the particulars of passages like this, I, I pray that you would teach them and stir in them and, and direct and guide them towards you. I pray, God, for the parents that are just now even realizing years' worth of lethargy. I pray that it stops tonight. That the excuses and discipline and the lack of pursuit of the gospel, that we would stand in victory through your son Jesus and not in condemnation. God, help us all as a body embrace the need and the desire to shepherd our kids collectively towards you. But God, most of all tonight, I thank you that you're a father that we get to watch and learn from, we get to experience grace from. Help us all tonight sit and bask in that love.